According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs, and uh, this morning we're going to get our first look at Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, distractions are set aside, and that we are humble under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have this morning to assemble together. I thank you for your faithfulness in our lives day by day. I thank you for the gracious way that you open our eyes to see more and more of your faithfulness, Father, because your faithfulness is infinite. It is eternal. It is never diminished. It is never increased. It is always perfect. And I thank you for allowing us to see more and more of it when you increase our capacity to identify with your word. We're calling upon you now this morning to, uh, to do just that, to open our eyes to the truth of your word, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs 7. I left my notes on my printer at home, so I'm just going to go without paper. I have a slideshow, um, but it'll be a little surprising when I go from slide to slide to remind myself of what happens next. Well, we are in Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Uh, if that's familiar, it's uh, almost word for word uh, what we had in Proverbs 2.1. All right, slightly different on the first half of it, but treasure my commandments within you is identical. And we'll have some discussion today on treasuring. Keep my commandments and live. And my teaching is the apple of your eye. Do you know that was a Bible expression? The apple of your eye. Well, it is. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend or your kinsman in the sense of the near redeemer, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. And then the bulk of this chapter actually tells this story of uh, this knucklehead and, and how he's in the wrong part of town and how he keeps going past this corner and, and uh, the trouble that he gets into. And he's got no one to blame but himself and the poor volitional choices that he's making leading up to this event. And so it's, it's almost ironic the way in verse 22 it says, suddenly he follows her. Well, well, how sudden is it, you know, when he's been trying at all hours of the day and night and he finally, uh, finally manages to, uh, to hook up with this, this girl that he's been hoping to, to find. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. And, uh, and, of course, the whole thing now is illustrated with uh, Charlie Sheen and, you know, the 5,000 uh, porn stars and prostitutes and other sorts that he's been sleeping with in the last 20 years. And, hey, let's go on Good Morning America and announce the shocking news about, uh, about HIV in any event. He does not know that it will cost him his life, but he should know. And had he been in the scriptures, he would have known. And had he paid heed to Proverbs, he uh, would have made better choices. 
All right, so the bulk of the chapter deals with this, but uh, this morning I want to focus on the introduction, these first four verses anyway, five verses, I guess, that lead, uh, that lead to this. It's, it is kind of neat, though. I, I'm thankful we have this recorded this way, um, that it wasn't always bad. You know, the, the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and you think, you know, that's good. You know, that he's, he's looking out the window in, in spirituality, and he's not up on the roof looking around town in his carnality. Uh, and because, I mean, we know the trouble he got into when he was up on the roof looking at things, checking things out. Um, but you wonder what kind of a personality David had uh, looking out his window and, and seeing the things that he saw. So anyway, we may, we may explore that a little bit when we get to verse 6. But for now, we've got to talk about keeping words and treasuring them and all the introduction that comes in these early verses. Proverbs 7 contains the fourth, which is also the longest, of five discourses on fornication that can be found in the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs. All right, In the first nine chapters of Proverbs, I've titled that section uh, Parental Wisdom, and the bulk of which actually is reflective of David and Saul and uh, Bathsheba in how they grounded Solomon in the Word of God from his childhood. And, uh, and so although Solomon's the author of the text, he, he took this material from what he grew up with, from what David instilled uh, to him as a child. And then it's almost like the book gets a start over in chapter 10, where it says the Proverbs of Solomon, <laughs> right? It's like a brand new introduction to the book in Proverbs 10.1. That's because the first nine chapters is actually the foundational material that, uh, that Solomon was grounded under in his childhood. And so we've titled these first nine chapters Parental Wisdom, and uh, they form a great block of instruction for any child before he or she is uh, ready to leave home. Uh, we've said before, of course, you can swap the, make it gender specific if you're dealing with a daughter, trying to instill um, wisdom to your daughters. They need to look out for the seducers, just like the boys need to look out for the seductresses. And uh, obviously the doctrine applies both, uh, both ways. So Proverbs 7.1 in the outline, Proverbs 7 contains the fourth and longest of the five discourses on fornication in the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs. And in this chapter, it's verses 6 through 23. This discourse is framed by a prologue to start it off, the prologue in verses 1 through 5, and an epilogue in verses 24 through 27. And so it has kind of an opening exhortation. It has a closing application that it makes. Verse 24 is, Now therefore, my sons, listen to me. And it went from the singular, my son, in verse 1, to the my sons, plural, in verse 24. And so everything that you're teaching, the oldest, uh, you want to teach the ones that follow. And uh, we see the pattern there. And, uh, and the application, obviously, is the same. Uh, do not let her heart turn, uh, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. And it's far more than just the physical activity. It's not just the sex. We're talking about the ways, the mindset, the way of life, the outlook. And uh, if the outlook is in the wrong place, well then, yeah, the body's going to do the wrong things. But if the outlook is in the right place, if the mindset is where it needs to be, if you're not pursuing her ways, you're pursuing the Lord's ways, then uh, you have less to worry about in these, in these physical sin issues. 
Uh, for I love verse 26. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. <laughs> okay? You're not the first. You, you're not the last. You won't be the last. All right? I think that really the... Um, the, the main power in any seduction or sin temptation or anything is that that lie that convinces you hey you're 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 different you're you're special you're i've never met anybody like you before and oh i've and and so you just the person falls for it because they 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 want to feel needed they want to feel special they want to feel they want to believe the lies are being told and then the sad truth is, is you're not special. You're no better than the rest of them, and you're actually worse than quite a few. <laughs> and uh, um, she can't even remember your name anyway. So there you go. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Anyway, that's the epilogue, and we'll get there. Uh, for this morning, though, we're still in the prologue, verses 1 through 5. And it all centers on doctrine, on the Word of God. How are we living in the Word of God? Is the Word of God a daily part of our thinking? You know, is it the apple of our eye? Uh, do we have them bound on our fingers? And then having bound them to our fingers, are we then using those doctrinal bound fingers to write more doctrine on our heart? As it says there, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. In verse 3, say to wisdom, you are my sister. And we'll talk about this, the increasing layers of, uh, of intimacy. And then call understanding your intimate friend. And uh, the blessings we have is, as uh, social creatures <laughs> you know we are social god is social he interacts with father son and holy spirit he designed humanity to be social we are relational beings from our parents to our siblings to our peers and and so forth um but you got to learn intimacy and you got to learn um respect and you've got to learn how to uh, relate to uh women well how do you treat your sisters <laughs> all right let's start there and uh different different uh things. All right. See what happens when I don't have paper in front of me? All right. The previous admonishments to chapter 7 started in chapter 2, continued in chapter 5. We just finished one in chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. Those were the previous admonishments. And why does he have to keep going over this again and again and again and again? I mean, why do you have to preach this five different times in nine chapters? You know? And why... The, the, when he got to the financial matters there in chapter 5, you know, the entanglements with your neighbor, uh, don't become surety for your neighbor. Um, there were a couple, uh, you know, don't be a slug, look to the ant, O sluggard, be hardworking, save, uh, make sure you're, you're conservative in your finances, have savings and investments and, and so forth. Those are the only two admonishments on financial matters we have in these nine chapters. But we have five on, on sex, <laughs> okay, on fornication. And uh, why is that, you know? And, and what are the values that we're instilling into, into the, our teenagers, into the next generation to prepare them for adult life? And uh, it's, I don't know, I find it interesting that in a lot of respects, parents are, are eager to get into the, you know, the, the right college, the right occupation, the right financial situation, the right career path, uh, uh, good business decisions, and, uh, and they're kind of dropping the ball in these other areas and, and not shaping the, uh, the character of godliness. Anyway, I just observe a proportion here that uh, 
puts more on the godliness and in the personal morality and and it hits some of the financial stuff but you know in a more limited proportion all right so there's chapter 2 verses 16 through 19 notice how short that is just four verses chapter 5 is a little bit longer 3 through 23 so you got 21 verses there chapter 6 uh once he got done with the financial issues there uh, then the second part of the chapter, the, the final third of the chapter, was about adultery and uh, the anger that will spark because uh, the husband of the of the uh, uh, the adultery is uh, not going to accept restitution from you. <laughs> he wants your hide. He wants you dead. And uh, and by the law, he will see you dead. In under Mosaic law, the the adulterer would be put to death. Uh, so that's verses 24 through 35. This one is the longest. Then the final one will come as the conclusion to parental wisdom. It comes at the end of chapter 9. So verses 13 through 18 of chapter 9. And you'll note um, those are the final uh, verses of parental wisdom. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their path straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Oh, come on. There's a thrill. There's always a thrill to the illicit, uh, sneaky kind of sex. And uh, it'll be fun. Come on. And there's no consequences. (laughs) Oh yeah, there's no consequences. It's sweet, it's pleasant, it doesn't cost you anything. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So there it is again. And there it is, Sheol, the final word of parental wisdom. All right, secondly then, point two. Treasuring the word of God means I place it in a particular location, both guarded and regarded. All right? And if that sounds familiar to you, I cut and paste it from the chapter 2 notes. <laughs> All right. Treasuring the Word of God. What does it mean to treasure the Word of God? And I think far too many believers take the Word of God on a take-it-or-leave-it basis. And yeah, they'll read it occasionally. They've got a passing interest in it. They find it helpful. They find it useful. But they don't treasure it. You know where the treasure is. You know where the heart is based upon what they are treasuring. Treasuring the Word of God means I place it in a particular location, both guarded and regarded. That is, I want to regard it with a high esteem. All right, I want to value it as significant. I want to, I want to know that I have placed it somewhere where not only is it secure, but I have access to it. I don't have it just shoved in a drawer somewhere, and I think, well, where is that thing? Okay, you know. My, my sheriff's department credentials. I, I purchased my badge when I left the sheriff's department to keep it as a souvenir. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll put it in a frame or mount it somewhere on a wall or whatever. No, it's, 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 it's in a drawer, and I'm pretty sure I know which drawer, but I don't know for a fact. All right, could be in a box. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably in a closet, in a box in my closet. But I honestly don't know. When's the last time I saw it? Okay. Um, some old army medals. When was the last time I saw those? It's in a box. And here's the thing. People treat the Word of God like that. And that's pathetic. You know, no, you've got to treasure it in your heart. You've got to have it ready, accessible. You can make use of it. It shows a low regard if you don't pay attention to it except every four or five years or whatever. Okay? Uh, you dust off your DD-214 because... Um, uh, 
IHOP is going to give you a free mini stack of pancakes or whatever on Veterans Day. So, you know, so you, you dust that thing, you pull that out and go to IHOP and then you're good till November next year, right? Um, that's, but here, that's how people treat the Bible. They don't refer to it until if they think it can get them something. Until, well, my life's a wreck, maybe the Bible has something to say. <laughs> you know, I'll pick up some helpful tips along the way. Um, and then I can kind of get back on an even keel, and, and then I can ignore the Bible again. Until the next time. The Hebrew verb is tsafan, T-S-A-P-F, I'm sorry, P-H-A-N. The tsade is the T-S sound, the pay with the P-H sound, the long A and the short A. Tsafan. 6845 is the strongest concordance number with 31 Old Testament uses. And uh, of course we're most familiar with Psalm 119. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's the Tsafan. Okay? Thy word I have hidden, treasured, regarded, protected. Alright. We, um, we can review these. It won't take a ton of time to do this. But um, because it's been a while since we were in Proverbs chapter 2. Do you remember Exodus 2, verses 2 and 3? All the way back to Exodus. What was happening in Exodus 2? Uh, the birth of Moses in Exodus 2, right? Moses can't lead Egypt out of, uh, or Israel out of Egypt until he's born. And uh, the, the birth of Moses takes place here. And uh, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, a woman, the, the woman, conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she saw fan, treasured, hid, guarded and regarded him for three months. Remember, they were under orders that the boys were to be murdered. And uh, the midwives were not complying with those orders. You know, what do you do when you're subject to governing authorities, uh, but you defy particular laws or particular commands? But when she could hide him no longer, when she could soften him no longer, she got him a wicker basket, covered it over with tar and pitch, and put the child into it, and set it among the reeds by the banks of the Nile. And, of course, this is the story. And Miriam chased him down the thing, and Pharaoh's daughter found him. And we know how that turns out, right? Grows up and becomes Charlton Heston. <laughs> and there it is. And then all the coincidences, of course, the daughter of Pharaoh takes him and then Miriam speaks up. What kind of leading of the Holy Spirit is this? When she says, shall I go and call a wet nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse a child for you? You know, that had to have been the Holy Spirit prompting that. I mean, no one thinks that quickly. I don't, or most people don't. Hey, you know, you want to adopt this baby, you, you, need, a nur- you need a wet nurse, okay? And uh, crafty fellow that she is she knows just the wet nurse to get because she happens to know the the mother of the baby <laughs> who can uh, who can nurse this child her mother because this child's her little brother all right anyway i never had an older sister i don't know that mine would have done this for me but um miriam was a lot nicer to uh to moses all right so there's Safan. joshua 2 4 joshua 2 4 I love those kind of stories, you know. And so Moses' mother ends up nursing her own baby uh, as, a, as a wet nurse for uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And... All right, Joshua 2.4. The woman had taken the two men. This is the spies sneaking in, okay? Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly 
from Shittim, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. That's where the, the invasion point was going to come. It'd be like telling World War II guys to you know pay particular attention to the beach at Normandy. <laughs> okay, Check it out. Check out Jericho. So they went and they came to the whorehouse, uh, the, harlot, the house of the harlot, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And uh, I was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, the men from the sons of Israel have come to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, a very well-known whorehouse in town, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and saw Than, hidden them. Same verb. What you and I are expected to do with the word of God. She had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, they came to me, but I didn't know who they were, where they came from, and they left. When it came time to shut the gate at dark, they left. I don't know where they went. All right, so she had hidden them. Job 23, 12. Job 23. Part of Job's uh, defense Starts off, even today my complaint is rebellion. He knows that he's innocent, and yet even voicing his own defense accuses God of unfairness. And so to defend himself, he has to declare God unrighteous. And so he realizes it's a no win. I mean, how do you, how do you win if declaring him unrighteous, that's not a win. Um, in any event, you get down... Obviously, you can't contend with him. How do you contend with him? How do you, how do you even come face to face? Verse 8 says, I go forward, but he's not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns to the right, I cannot see him. It's like boxing against an, inv- an invisible opponent. How do you box against an invisible opponent? You never see the blows coming. You don't know if it's a right hand or a left hand coming at you. You can't even see where he is. He keeps landing these blows on you. Then you can kind of tell, hey, he's within arm's reach. (laughs) Yeah, because he's he's punching me in the nose. All right. My foot has held fast to his path. I've kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. More than my necessary food. And there's a proportion there. And that's not just a pastor preaching about diminished church attendance. That is a biblical proportion of how much food do you take in physically and how much food do you take in spiritually. And if it's out of proportion, don't don't justify yourself or defend it to the pastor. Answer to the Lord. Answer to yourself. Answer, what are you doing? You know, you take 40 meals a year. Well, that's what you're doing uh, in in, uh, spiritual intake. What are you doing? All right. I can't even drink left-handed. That's horrible. So there's Job 23. Psalm 83. Psalm 83.3. Psalm of Asaph. I love Psalm 83. It's been a favorite for a long, long time. O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent, O God. Do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. 
they make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. Okay, Israel was God's treasured people. Even as we are commanded to treasure God's word in our heart, God has treasured Israel in his heart. Okay, And we're going to come back to this same concept when we get to the apple of my eye expression, because Israel is the apple of Jehovah's eye. Not the United States of America, not Austin Bible Church, all right? Israel is the apple of Jehovah Elohim's eye, as the Old Testament reveals it. So they can, uh, they can make all the shrewd plans they want. And that's a carnal kind of wisdom. That's a satanic kind of wisdom. James 3 calls it the wisdom from below that is earthly, natural, demonic. You can have a shrewdness in a, in a satanic kind of crafty way. But remember, the wisdom of God makes the wisdom of this world foolishness. And he sees through all of that. And even if they cooperate together, conspiring together, they're still trying to afflict God's treasured ones. And I, uh, I enjoy that as an expression. Of course, Psalm 119.11, Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. The value that the word of God has as a prophylactic, as a defense, as a guard against sinful activity, uh, means that you have to hold the word of God in high regard. You have to treasure it. You have to guard it and regard it. You have to value it as something worthwhile. Ideally, we want to grow to the point that, that God himself has magnified his word in accordance with his own name. We should have such an exalted view of Scripture we, we, we worship it. We view it as having equal value with his very name. So we love his word. We worship his word. We submit to his word. We respond to his word as if it's God himself because it is God himself. The living word is God. All right. So thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, thy word I have shoved in a box in a closet somewhere. Uh, is that going to keep me from sinning against God? No. It's with humility we receive the word implanted, which is able to save the soul. Under any other circumstances, the word of God isn't just going to do stuff contrary to us letting the word do that work. Okay? Do you let it dwell richly within you? That's the, uh, that's the point. And then, of course, Proverbs 2.1 which I said earlier was a bit of a preview to Proverbs 7 one. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. And this is where we have to actually claim custody of these words. We receive them, all right? Because until we receive them, they're not our words. They're, they're David's words. They're dad's words. You know, of course, mom and dad, yeah, they say what they say, but come on, they're goofy, right? That's, that's what they think. That's their Bible. That's their uh, conviction. That's their view or whatever. Okay? My words, my commandments. And, and, and so in this, David is saying, yeah, these are my words. These are my commandments. But you need to receive them. Make them your words. Make them your mitzvah, your commandments. Your, uh, uh, and then they become yours if you treasure them. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Become a disciple. And all the discussions on discipleship, I hope you pay attention to verses like this one. Okay? Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Uh, you know, discipleship doesn't end when the man can answer a Bible quiz. Okay? It doesn't say make Bible experts. It says make disciples. 
And uh, if they have the ear of a disciple, the heart of a disciple, then you've accomplished your mission. They have an eagerness to learn. And if they've got an eagerness to learn, well, then there you are. You've made a disciple. Okay. And then, of course, our text today, Proverbs 7.1. The apple of the eye. What is the apple of the eye? It's an idiom that even finds itself in common usage today, probably because people don't realize it's biblical. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they understood it was biblical, then they'd quit using it or demand that we stop using it or find some other expression. But I think it's still used today because they don't know it's biblical. It's like skin of my teeth. They don't know that's biblical either, so they use it until they find out, and then they stop using it. Just because they hate anything Bible, right? But a particular place of observation and affection. The literal Hebrew word means pupil, and yet it gets rendered as apple. And um, it's probably apple is probably not the best way to render it, but that's the way it's been rendered, I think, since um, the King James language. I'm not sure what the, the Wycliffe Bible does with this. I've, I've got the Wycliffe Bible now. I can look that up. But anyway, the apple of the eye, the pupil of the eye, the, the, uh, the, the, the main focus, okay? In other words, not peripheral vision, <laughs> okay? You know, if you're locking eyes on somebody, which I don't like to do when I'm preaching, but if you're locking eyes on somebody, that's one thing. And you're not, you know, I can see there's an American flag over here, there's a Texas flag over here, I think, if I got it right, yeah, okay. But it's just peripheral vision until I turn, if I keep it in my peripheral vision, then yeah, I kind of got a vague sense that it's there, but I'm not really focused on it. I had to guess that which flag was which until you learn and you focus on it. And then there too, keep the Word of God as the pupil of your eye, as the focus of your eye, the apple of your eye. Okay. And so uh, that's the idiom that we have here in Proverbs 7.2. It also appears uh, in Deuteronomy 32.10, Psalm 17.8, and Zechariah 2.8, where we understand that Israel is the apple of God's eye. He's the one that he's sweet on, we might say. Okay, There's a girl that you're sweet on, and you spend a lot of time looking at her. Okay, In fact, you're so sweet on her, and you're looking at her um, to the extent that any other girl in the world is over there in the periphery somewhere. Okay, I'm not looking at those girls. I'm looking at this girl. That's the pupil of your eye. So, Deuteronomy 32.10. Talking about, well, the hymn in this sense is Jacob, but it's speaking of Jacob as representative of the entire Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Um, this is Moses' farewell song. He says um, in verse 7, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you. Your elders and they will tell you. In other words, have a perspective for the plan of God that's bigger than just you and your generation and, and your daily life. It's, it's a sweeping plan from Alpha to Omega. And uh, you've got to serve the Lord in your generation. When the Most High, when El Elyon gave the nations their inheritance, all the nations, he divided them. All right? It's not just Israel that has a land grant and a destiny. Every nation, God has a plan for every people, tongue, tribe. 
when he gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number. And depending on what Hebrew manuscripts you want to read here, it's either the Beneha as either the sons of Israel or it's the Beneha Elohim, the sons of God. And I think the better rendering is the sons of God there. But however you take it, Jesus Christ controls history and the course of the Gentile nations and the course of the Jewish nation are operating according to God's design. For the Lord's portion is his people. Out of all the nations of this earth, 70 nations that he divided, uh, when you read through Genesis 10, you see the table of nations in Hamshem and Japheth, three broad divisions of humanity, but they're broken down into 70 divisions. All right. But the one of those that belongs to the Lord is Israel, Jacob. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. Jacob is the allotment, okay? And so that's the hymn of what uh, what appears there in verse 10. But Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. I love allotments because I'm not the allotter, <laughs> okay? God's the allotter. He's sovereign. He is the one that assigns and says, you're getting this and you're getting this and you're getting this and you're getting this and you're getting this, all right? He's the one that does the allotting. And uh, that applies in churches too, by the way. Because pastors are not to be tyrants, right? Not dominating those that have been allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Allotted to your charge is the same principle here. Jesus Christ has allotted sheep to shepherds. And the shepherd better be faithful to those sheep that he's been allotted. Because they're not your sheep. All right, so uh, Deuteronomy 32.10. He found him... Jacob, the Jewish people, in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he guarded him as the pupil of his eye, or the apple of his eye. It's the same Hebrew idiom we have in Proverbs 7. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spreads his wings and, ca- and caught them, he carries them on his pinions. I mean, it goes on. I mean, you can't imagine birthing a nation in the wilderness, but that's what he did. He brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of their bondage, and he brought them into a wilderness, and that's where he birthed them as a nation. They weren't a nation when they went down to Egypt. They were a people, but they were a nation when he brought them out of Egypt, and he birthed them in the wilderness. The Lord alone guided him. There was no foreign God with him. All right, it's a fun song. I could get lost in that chapter. Let's go to Psalm 17. Psalm 17, 8. Another apple of the eye expression. Psalm 17 is a psalm of David. Uh, verse 6 says, I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. I love this, telling God what to do. <laughs> okay, And we only do that because he has said he will be faithful. He will hear us. And so we order him to hear us. Okay, And, and pay attention to these, because these are not nonsensical imperatives. We've got one coming up in Proverbs 7 that some people think is just ludicrous. Because we are commanded to live. You say, well, I'm alive, right? 
(laughs) Why does he command me to live? Well, what kind of life are we talking about? What kind of life can I obey God in the imperative to live based upon the word of God that has nothing to do with my biology? (laughs) Has nothing to do with my, um, you know, my, my mortal status of still being living. So there's a command to live we're going to deal with. And here's a, another good il- illustration. It's not a nonsensical imperative when you tell God, answer me, incline your ear, hear my speech. Those are imperatives. But they're imperatives uh, that reflect the confidence we have in prayer when we are reciting His promises back to Him. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. So here's David telling God what to do. Why can he do that? Why can you do that? Why can I do that? Okay, Abraham did that. Moses did that. Jesus did that. We see this again and again and again in the pattern of a confident prayer life. Sometimes you'll tell God what he cannot do. As Moses did. God, you can't destroy these people. You made promises. If you destroy these people, the Egyptians are going to mock you. You can't do that because you made promises about these people. So tell God what he can't do. Tell God what he must do. But always it's on the basis of what he's promised that he would do, that he has to do. Okay? The importunate prayers of, uh, that Jesus exhorts us to do. All right, so... Um, Keep me, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked of those who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. You know, do you feel surrounded sometimes? Great. You've got them right where you want them. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Hey, more people to pray for. And, And God's in charge anyway. They have closed their unfeeling heart with their mouth. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low, deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. All right. Well, I've gone past what I'm looking for. But the way this closes is interesting, because he's calling upon God, he's calling upon God. God's going to do this. Um... So arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low, deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, you see the contrast here? Some people feel, hey, they're successful in life if they've had a good life and left an inheritance to their kids and hey, life's been good, see ya. But as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. David says, I'm just waiting to wake up. This life is is compared to the next life. You know, oftentimes we view death as sleeping, but in reality, death is waking up for the first time ever, (laughs) being face-to-face with Jesus Christ. That's what David's talking about there. I love the way that, uh, that concludes. And isn't it interesting? He's called upon God to rescue him. He's called upon God to save him. He says, God, you have to listen to me. You have to hear me. And he says, I might die here. 
Does that mean you failed to listen? You failed to answer my prayer? You failed to, you know? People take the no answers to prayer as if God's not answering. When actually the no answer to prayer is an answer to prayer. And David says, that's the best answer of all because that means I'm face to face with my Savior. Okay? So, you know, we get these things and, oh, somebody's got cancer and what's the prayer? Well, we want them to be healed. Well, we want Christ to be glorified. And if they're not healed, is that not an answer? The answer is no, it's time for that believer to receive their their reward. It's not a non-answer. It's the best answer of all. The answer is no. Their life is complete. They now get to be face to face. Anyway, I think we need to shape our prayers more in line with with, uh, an eternal perspective, not just the personal, subjective uh, thing I'm dealing with right here, right now. Zechariah 2.8. Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Get to Zechariah, second to last book of the Old Testament. 2.8. Here's a man with a measuring line. And uh, verse 6 says, Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion, escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, After glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, or the pupil of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And so Assyria should not get full of themselves for sweeping away the northern kingdom. Babylon should not get full of themselves for sweeping away the southern kingdom. God is using Gentile nations to discipline the Jewish nation. But look out, all right, because what have you just done? You have just touched the apple of his eye, and now judgment will come to you. Okay? He didn't pick these nations because they were so great and wonderful and he wanted to bless them. He picked them because he has to curse those who curse Israel. So of course he selects these horrible pagan nations, those that would come under judgment anyway. And he uses them as the tools of his, uh, of his wrath. All right? Live! <laughs> That's an order, Private. Live! It is both an imperative and a consequence of all these other imperatives that we see in this prologue. It is both an imperative and a consequence of all these other imperatives. Notice how many commands start chapter 7. My son, keep my words. There's your first command, okay? Shamer, to keep, to guard. Treasure, Safan, we already gave you, uh, to guard and regard, to treasure, to hide, Safan. Um, keep, again, uh, repeated in verse 2 from verse 1, and actually it's used twice in verse 2. The first is explicit, the second is, in, is inferred. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind, there's another command in verse 3. Bind them on your fingers. Write, there's another command in verse 4. Or, I'm sorry, in verse 3. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say, that's a command. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. 
You know, can you just make yourself somebody's sister? <laughs> or make them your sister? Okay. Well, I guess you could in some ways, but we can in Christ as we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But to 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 tell the word of God, say that you are my sister. Say or call understanding your intimate friend, your redeemer. You are as close to me that there's none closer. Okay, Remember Boaz, there was one closer. For Boaz, he couldn't just redeem Ruth. He had to give the one closer the opportunity. Okay, We don't know his name, but you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, <laughs> I call him knucklehead. Okay, moron, this chump that could have married Ruth. Are you kidding me? And you said no to Ruth? Okay, but he was closer. There was a kinsman that was closer. And so on that basis, the, the one that was closest was the one that had the privilege, had the, the expectation, had the blessing, had the responsibility, duty. Okay, um, And he failed. Failed the duty, failed the responsibility, failed the blessing of that duty, okay? And so Boaz then is the second closest, said, all right, <laughs> my turn. <laughs> Not going to miss this one, okay? And there you go. That's the closeness we're to have with the Word of God. Make call, uh, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsman, okay? Your kinsman. The, uh, the guy closer than Boaz. <laughs> I want to be as close as I can with understanding, with the Word of God. And so it is, it is both an imperative and a consequence. Live. If you're obeying all these other commands, if you're keeping and treasuring and binding and writing and saying and calling, if you're obeying all these other commands, well then the command live becomes a consequence. It becomes the result of these other commands. So it is both an imperative and a consequence at the same time. Keep my commandments and live. Now, how do you tell somebody to live? Like I say, it almost seems nonsensical. Uh, everybody in the room right now is presently living, right? That's, a, that's our problem. We have the same word live for some of these unrelated things. You're all physically alive. There's no dead people in the room this morning, okay? And there's no... Um, and there's no spiritually dead people, I'm convinced. We're all believers, so we all have biological life, bios life, and we have zoe life. We have eternal life in Christ. Okay? But now, how are we operating in that zoe life? When Jesus said, I have come that they would have life, that they would have it abundantly. Do we have a life that is fitting for the life we have been given? And And... Maybe, I, know, I, I hope it communicates because we use, we use um, Hebrew and Greek to do the same thing we do in English. We use these words loosely and idiomatically in different things. We talk about, well, how do you make your living? Okay? As if that's your living, right? Say, well, I'm a truck driver, I'm a bus driver, I'm a pastor, I'm a whatever, okay? Met a new, new guy at Scrabble Monday night and one of the first things, well, hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, well, I'm a software programmer. Oh, okay. But is that really a living? We call it a living. It is your livelihood, okay? 
And I'm not mocking that. It's a useful use in English because it's the same thing that you have in Greek. It's the same thing you have in Hebrew. If you, if you, if you don't work, you don't eat, and it's hard to live if you don't have a livelihood. Okay? Now this imperative to live. What's this about? Keep my commandments and live. It has nothing to do with the money you make or your career path or uh, anything in bios life, bios life, okay? We're not telling physically alive people to keep the Word of God and stay physically alive. That if you skip church, God's going to strike you dead. (laughs) People that skip church too much, man, they don't live very long. That'd be a horrible way. You're, You're kind of chuckling, but you think that's been preached in the past? You think there's pulpits that have that's come across? Okay. All right. Live in the fullness of living means operating in this abundant life that is in Christ that actually the Hebrews knew about in their scriptures before Jesus ever uttered it in, uh, in the Gospel of John. All right. To truly live. The psalmist in Psalm 119 knew what it meant to live the Word of God. And, and he kept commanding God to revive him, cause him to live. Give me a life. Okay? And, and this is it's a horrible illustration, but I'm going to use it because um, when you're caring for older people, and, 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 and in those older years, we're talking about quality of life. Okay? And how many people, they, yeah, they live to 90, they live to 100, they live to whatever. Mrs. Box was 106, but, you know, what is the quality of that life? You know, what kind of life has it been since whatever, okay? And what kind of life is that? And so, in earthly terms, with old age, we're talking about quality of life and a life that maybe has less richness than it could or more richness than it could and, and whatever, Am I making sense? When I, when I go to these nursing homes, when I see, I mean, it's, it's, it's stark. It is, it, it, they might as well be wearing name tags or something and because it is so obvious. Here is someone that knows the Lord that has no fear of, of where they're going when they, when they leave planet Earth. And then here are people with bitterness and anger and, and all kinds of ugliness and all kinds of darkness. Okay? And, uh, and things there. So that's my illustration. And almost hits to what we're talking about when we say live. Live. How many people are living in temporal life, but they're not living in spiritual life? They may have spiritual life. They're going to go to heaven when they die. But they're not living that abundant life right here, right now, and they're supposed to be. They're not living with Zao, with Zoe. They're, they're, they're Biao, living. They have a bios life and they're earning a living. They have a livelihood. In some cases they have a very abundant livelihood. And I think the Bible bears out sometimes that that can be a a barrier. Sometimes the the abundant livelihood kind of diminishes the the, the Zoe life. And it shouldn't. It's not supposed to. Alright. So when we're commanded to live that means be a disciple. Live the Word of God. Live the, the uh, eternal life. When, when, when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, that, that shouldn't have been a, a newsflash in, in, uh, to Nicodemus. Here's a teacher of Israel is not living. He's not living. He probably knows more Scripture than you and I do just because as a Pharisee you memorize 
you know, huge chunks of, of Torah. But he, he needed to be born again. He wasn't living. Chapter 4 and verse 4 here in Proverbs had a similar emphasis. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son on the side of my mother, what were the priorities that David and Bathsheba had with Solomon? Right? I mean, remember, there was a brother older than Solomon, but that's the brother that died. Okay? And so here's the replacement as David comforts Bathsheba. And and how does he comfort Bathsheba? Not with sex. With with doctrine. Okay? It says that he went into her and he comforted her. Then it says she conceived. Okay? When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son on the side of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Okay, And what a contrast. Not just the child who died and the child who lived, but the child who lived who can now really live spiritually for the glory of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forsake nor forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. In other words, develop an intimacy with doctrine. So that you're not seduced into these fallen intimacies of of fornication and and all the other trouble that you get into. Prize her. Verse 8 says, prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Okay? You want to have the right kind of hugging and caressing and embracing and intimacy with the Word of God. And then you're less worried about the kind of boys your daughters are dating. Okay? You're not so worried about the embracing and hugging and hand placement. If believers are embracing the Word of God. All right. So, uh, again, keep my commandments and live. That's Proverbs 4 4. Keep my commandments and live in the abundant life of what we have in the Word of God. Otherwise, you're not living. You're not living. We'll come back to this next week. Let me give you something to chew on. Why all this emphasis on eye, fingers, and heart? Eye, fingers, and heart must interact with truth. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have heard with our ears, what our hands have handled and touched concerning what was from the beginning. Do you ever stop to consider how we learn the Word of God, how we relate to Jesus Christ, how we, are we so, I want us to get, I want us to be more touchy-feely, okay? I want to develop a doctrine of touchy-feely without being emotional touchy-feely like so many of the I'm going to get in trouble here. Um, because there are, there are light and fluffy churches that are all about the touchy-feely, and they have no, no content. They have no, no truth. And, and my, my thought is, is that we don't want to go so far to avoid not being them that we forget that there should be some 
touching and tasting and smelling and hearing and feeling. Uh, the introduction to 1 John 1, 1, and, and if, uh, if I struggle with this, I'll just let um, Pastor Dan come up here and teach this. As I know, he taught it. I heard him teach it. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You know, and I get that he that has an ear, let him hear. I get that. I get that we're here in Bible class to hear, thus saith the Lord. And the primary mode of, of our doctrinal instruction is what we hear. But it's more than just the what we hear is we have to hear it, we have to see it. We see it portrayed by the, the pastor that's preaching it. We see it portrayed by older brothers and sisters in our congregation. We we see it all around us if we're in a body of believers that's living the word that we're hearing. So it's more than just hearing and seeing, but it's also fingers. It's also the mouth, it's also the the taste. The wonderment of learning new things. And if we are babes in Christ, if we are longing like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, if that is a command, if we're to be childlike to come to Christ, why did he say, suffer the children to come unto me? If we're to be childlike in how we learn, right? You've got grandsons, triplets, right? How do babies learn? Man, they're exploring the world around them. They're looking at stuff. They're touching stuff. They're shoving stuff in their mouth. You know? Shoving their fingers in their mouth. Shoving their toes in their mouth. Probably shoving their brother's toes in their mouth. I mean, you think about it. And then they learn to crawl. And they're, they're moving around the, the room. Why? Because there's more stuff they can shove in their mouth. <laughs> okay? Hey, there's something shiny over there. What's that taste like? What's it feel like? And so we're touching it. We're tasting it. We're smelling it. We're, yeah. And so, as it says here, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There's, there's, there's eye, there's fingers, there's heart. There's a lot of tactile interaction with the Word of God. So we'll... Uh, the, the spiritual sensory receptors to the written and living word. And we'll, uh, we'll come back to that next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the book of Proverbs. I thank you for designing us the way that you do and uh, designing your word the way that you've designed it. It never returns void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And I pray, Father, that you would increase our capacity our capacity to apprehend what you have supplied. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. They are so much higher. And yet, you have made it available to each one of us. You've brought us into your wisdom. You've brought us into your understanding. And I thank you for it. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.